Hi guys. Hey. I'm Riss. And I'm Liza. And this is Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. <laughs> the lady reaction. I forgot how we do it for a second. We were like, mm, I don't recall. sleeping and so much reading his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind she said <laughs> my brain was like come on brain think of things come on brain he's so smart that's one of my <laughs> new favorite tiktok audios of all time it's so good so good i literally obsessed um how's everyone's reading week been yeah what y'all been reading it's the be- end of one month and the beginning of another so what did you read what did you do i hope you read black authored works and if you didn't you're a cop <laughs> uh if you didn't we're judging you but also you have all year to do that. Right, right. You're not, we don't hate you for it. Mm. Well, 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 but you do have all year to do it. So, so you know what? If, if you didn't read uh, a Black authored work for February, that just means that, let's say you, you would read one book every week. That's four books. Yeah. So that just means you have to read at least eight during the rest of the year. Yeah. At least. At yep. least. I agree. I'm here for that. So get on it. Um, but it seems that every month is some a special month mm-hmm. because this month is Women's History Month. Woo! It is Women's History Month. We, Marissa and I, pretty much read female authors or women identifying authors. Like, do we ever read books by men? Sometimes. We judge them more harshly. Yeah. But, so we won't be doing a full month of books by women authors. Because that would be pretty similar to (laughs) our day. Hey, take it easy. Um, But we did want to read feminist fiction this week to celebrate the beginning of Women's History Month. And we have a lot of other fun things coming at you this month yeah this month is chock full of like what is it called observances yes we have author birthdays Mm -hmm. we have other kinds of literature observances right that's this month lots of stuff going on raise your hand if you're excited yeah i saw everyone out there raise their hand good job y'all raising your hands should I should I um go through a little history of Women's History Month? Yes, please. All right. So Women's History Month is all of March. And it began in the 70s as Women's History Day. It seems like it always starts like that. Like it begins with a day. Just one day out of the year. Because that's how Black History Month started too. 
the government was like, y'all can have one day. But thankfully, it got extended, like Black History Month. Um, And in 1979, oh no, sorry, 1980, it became Women's History Week, thanks to President Jimmy Carter. Let's see when it became Women's History Month in... Okay, so between 1988 and 1994, so quite a while, Congress was pushing to make Women's History Week, Women's History Month. And that finally happened. And since then, every president since 1988 has made an official proclamation of Women's History Month. And it's basically just a time to highlight um, the history and achievements and how would you put that? Like contributions um, women have made. And I think it's especially important too to highlight contributions that um, trans women, queer women and women of color have made in the name of feminism and expanding what feminism means. And there's so many ways to do that. And one of those ways that is our favorite is through fiction. So we love to see it. No, it is crazy if you think about all the things that uh, women weren't allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And in some places still aren't allowed to do. Like women couldn't drive. They weren't allowed to drive. How stupid. So stupid. And when could... Um, Let me look this up because this was crazy when I learned this. Um, I I took a gender and capitalism class and it was one of the coolest classes I ever took. Um, Women could not have credit cards until 1974. What? 1974. How freaking weird is that? Like they couldn't have their own bank accounts. Like... Black women couldn't even vote from 1919. Like, it was very hard for them to be able to vote, even though white women got the vote. And even then, like, poor women, poor white women, poor women of color were still, like, disenfranchised. And, Mm -hmm. like, it's always just been, like, that much harder for women to do literally anything. (laughs) It also makes me think, when they were making the Constitution... Yeah. Abigail Adams literally told her husband, John Adams, the, the, the vice president, soon to be second president, like, remember the women. Like, she was thinking that all the way back in, what, 1776? And we didn't get the right to vote for so long? Like, are you kidding me? I don't know. It's insane. Th- this is a month to be, uh, you know, to think of how far we've come and totally the other day I had to go outside and shovel and I was like oh all the feminism has left my body for the day but we can't be doing that this month this month we got to be like wow I shoveled and look at me I'm powerful look at me go then you got to come in the house and like I don't know fix your own sink or something but we will be draft dodging besties if they decide oh yeah no (laughs) (laughs) happy women's history month except for if the war begins this month in which case i will be cooking and cleaning and staying home 
And hopefully by the time you guys are listening to this, the war hasn't begun, but there it may have. <laughs> Future us and little sleepers, much readers, we hope you're okay. <laughs> we hope you're okay. This week we're reading some feminist fiction and the only war in these books, the war on our bodies. Period. Does yours discuss that? Um, mine has a lot of feminist body things, not yeah. specifically abortion thing. Well, mine, there's like a little bit about abortion, but not really. Mine has a lot of feminist body things too. And I really, that's like my favorite kind of book often. Yes, because no one teaches us about our bodies. Sometimes you got to learn about it through fiction. And I feel like to all kinds of women, like women and trans women, like your body is really important to you in different ways and sometimes the exact same ways too. But it feels like it's no wonder there's so much body horror written by women or like books that like really focus on the body because it's like, I don't know, sometimes you just think about it more than dudes, Mm -hmm. um, than cis dudes do. I think. And and for me, there's a lot of like trying to figure out what in me is like internalized misogyny. Sure. And what isn't. Yeah. For instance, since I was like a little kid in middle school, whatever, I never wanted to get married and I never wanted to have kids. And that's something that I still feel today. But part of me sometimes like, but do I just not want to do that because... Like, I think that men expect me to do that. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, But then also, then I'm like, but then am I really doing what I truthfully want? I don't know. Yeah. That's so true. Um, Anybody who had one of those phases, like, it's so simple, but like, like, where you were like, I don't like pink and I don't like, like, for years, I wouldn't wear dresses. Like, I didn't start wearing mm -hmm. dresses until, um like this year which is so stupid like what a dumb thing but like it's the tiniest things like that that you're just like why did I do that yeah what made me think that way it's really interesting it's it's super interesting um and it's I don't know it's strange how I don't know. It's just, it's weird how other people can affect our lives so much in simple things like that. Like yeah. no one in my life has ever like talked with me about getting married or having a baby in a way that would make me think negatively about it. Right. So why do I, so why do I have these feelings? Why do you have that internal dialogue? But even reading um the book that I'm going to talk about today there were a lot of parts where I stopped and I think and I was like thought I was thinking about it right um and I was like maybe I should have a baby yeah like my body can do this really really cool thing right and I know why (laughs) yeah no and remember I remember too was having that like was that in our feminist fiction class where we were talking about like not feminist fiction. I definitely talked about it in my feminist fiction class. It was in our ghost stories class where we were talking about how like being pregnant in general is such a weird phenomenon. And I'll never forget when Sam said that you create a life 
and then you also but you also create a death what a profound way of thinking of things and like I just feel like that's what feminist fiction does like it makes you like it gives you these really like profound concepts because I think she was even saying that in reference to beloved right yeah and she it's in one of the stories here she talks about it oh dope I I was reading it and I was like, oh my God, I know this. You were like, like I heard that before. It's so interesting to read the stories of someone you know and have spent time with. Yeah. Because you can really see those threads of them in the work, um, which is really interesting. But one, okay. Another thing that like drives me wild about pregnancy, which is also in one of the stories in this is um like it's not just your stomach grows big and whatever like it it affects so many other parts of your body like your organs literally shift which drives me insane yeah uh your boobs get bigger because they're filling with friggin milk and they're swelling up right you get cravings like just think of all the things that like being pregnant and having a baby actually changes in your body yeah my mom didn't have allergies until she was pregnant with me how the fuck does that work yeah it's insane the biology of it is really whack like i'll probably never be able to wrap my head around it um, that's interesting that bo- both of our books are going to cover like sort of that aspect, I think, of women in different ways. Women things. Just girly things. Wait, yeah, we already kind of talked about her, but what did you read this week, Marissa? I read The Dark Dark, which is a collection of stories by the wonderful Samantha Hunt. We love her. And I read um, The Bitch by Pilar Quintana, which has an amazing cover. Little dog. Little dog. I will add a a note about me. I initially was reading a different book that I DNF'd, um, which happens to the best of us. But I was originally reading Native Tongue by Suzette Hayden Elgin, which is a classic feminist book. It's from 1984, um, which correct me if I'm wrong, but that is before The Handmaid's Tale even came out. One year before The Handmaid's Tale. And I feel like we often credit The Handmaid's Tale with being the first work of feminist speculative fiction or the first of really well-known So I always felt kind of like I really wanted to read Native Tongue. And there's a chance I'll get around to it eventually. But I think what happened was, first of all, it's like science fiction. And we already know that both Marissa and I have a tough time with science fiction. Second of all, the book began from men's perspectives. And I was like, I don't know about all that. And third of all, I don't know if there's been critique on this in the past for Native Tongue, but I know there's been critique around this for The Handmaid's Tale in that second wave feminist fiction, you really have to applaud it for what it did in the time. But as as a whole, as it stands in 2022, it's not doing a lot and especially not for all kinds of women. Um, In the same way you can like, 
give a shout out to, you know, women like Betty Friedan from the second wave feminist movement who were making, like pushing for the ERA and pushing for equal rights, but it was really for white women, white, even straight women, and also white women of a certain social class. Um, and I know that Margaret Atwood, who has recently received criticism for being kind of a turf, um, which made me really upset to find out about her, but in the past has received criticism for how the lack of women of color in The Handmaid's Tale. And she had the opportunity to correct that in the Testaments, which came out just a few years ago, and she didn't. And I, I'm not, like I said, I didn't finish um, Native Tongue, but if anybody has read the whole thing, I'd love to hear from you. Do you think it has a similar issue to The Handmaid's Tale and Margaret Atwood? Do you think it's too, because Suzette Hayden um, Elgin is also a white woman. Um, do you think it's lacking diversity? Do you think it's too much focused on second wave feminism and not covering a, a broad enough uh, definition of what feminism is today. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but yeah, that is why I DNF'd my first feminist fiction book and instead switched to The Bitch by Pilar Quintana. And that's that on that. That's my explanation for how that happened. That's that on that. So yeah, as I said, I read The Dark Dark by Samantha Hunt and this book is a little bit special to me because Sam Hunt was one of our teachers, our professors, and it was really in her class that I got to write and think about fiction the way that set me on the path to um, how I like to write now, I guess. And it's interesting, like, knowing Sam in the way that I do and being so close to her uh, writing wise, you know, reading pieces and hearing her thoughts on them and her recommending things for us to read and whatever. So it's, it's really interesting to, to have that experience and then to um, read these books from her or these stories from her. And I will say Sam is one of the most, I guess, like introspective people. Um, she's always, I don't know, just saying like these things that if you were probably anyone who wasn't in a writing class with her, you would be like, what the hell is this lady on? But I don't know, because we're in a writing class together and we're all kind of thinking in this writerly, uh, creatively creative way. She says these things and I'm like, hell yeah. Like suddenly the wheels in my brain are turning and everything she's saying is making such good sense. She really is someone who I believe lives her writing um in a way yeah we love her so let's let's talk about this book like I said it's a collection of short stories and it has so much going on in it so let's hop right into this chart 
I can't, I'm, so, I'm holding the book and like just looking at it. I can't stop looking at it. The cover is really pretty. It's like a cream white color. And then it has, I don't know what they're called, what it's called exactly. So nobody make fun of me. But um, you know when like therapists used to do that thing where they show you all the black blobs and then they're like, what does this look like to you? It has like one of that, like something like that on it. So it looks a lot like black ink smudge sort of. And then if you look closely in the black, you can just make out what looks like a deer in headlights. Super beautiful. So yeah, so let's get into it. For readability, I gave this a nine. Not only are the stories a really good size where I was just cruising through them, but also I was actively thinking about them. Sam has a way of ending her stories with questions left unanswered so you don't really know what what always happens and personally I love it when I only okay I love that unanswered aspect when it comes to short stories I know it's not everyone's cup of tea and it's not something that I want to read all of the time but I do love it when it happens um, in the way that she did it so I was thinking about these stories long after I put the book down and I think parts of them will continue to come back to me and I'm going to leave that there for now because I'll probably talk more about that in a little bit for language and style I gave this also a nine she is so good like you guys already know you guys can just tell I know you can just tell but she's so good The way she describes things blows my mind. She is such a grip on words and grammar, and she knows how to use them in exactly the right way to cause an impact or to, like, hook your brain. Really stellar language. And so I'm going to read a couple things from a couple pages because I thought that would be fun. And since uh, they're all different stories, I'm just going to get a little... A little bit, a little bit from everything. When I wake, it is still night. I can tell because there is a small knot of unknown fear in my lungs and a soupy proximity to every memory I've ever had. Which, is that just not amazing? So good. Here's another one for you. This one is... One's longer, so I might not read all of it. Actually, I'm going to. The night is navy blue, stars and cold. The grass underfoot breaks into a spicy smell, oregano and dirt. Why should anyone be afraid of night? But then there is motion around me, like standing in a flooding in a flooded river, and I'm terrified. I'm afraid of this night. I stumble back, trying to figure out what I'm looking at to let the world come into focus fur and flanks and pointy hips and rib cages pass slowly before me sharp ears that nervously twitch forward and back everywhere the warmth of blood dark brown eyes lined with white fur and quivering backs that shake an itch silence the road the yard the whole country is filled with deer a calm stampede of them an ocean of brown fur moving both together and separately the way a caterpillar's back will resist and accept the ground at the same time. 
Um, I love that little part with the caterpillar. Um, I would also like to let Eliza know really quick. She does have a story in here called The Yellow, <laughs> which I thought was very interesting from Sam. Um, here's another quick snippet. This one is much further in the book. Oh, and this one is from probably my favorite story in the collection but maybe not i don't know we'll talk about that in a minute also um most men i know speak about sex as if their needs are more intense or deeper than women's needs like their penises are on fire and they will die if they can't extinguish the flames in some damp tight hole when i was younger i believed men when they said their desires were more intense than mine because they talked about sex so much through through high school and college. I didn't recognize this talk as a prop of false identity. The men developed entire industries devoted to this desire, this identity, the aches, the suffering of the boys, the shame and mutual responsibility for blue balls, the suffering of the boys. Poor boys, I thought, poor boys, as if I were being called upon to serve in a war effort, the war against boys not getting any. Why do people act like boys can't be human, like they don't control their own bodies? It's not a very nice way to think about boys. Um, and I got one more for everyone. What's the scariest sound a person can hear away from the city inside a quiet country house where the closest neighbors are pretty far away? The scariest possible sound is a man coughing outside in the dark. Because why is there a man standing in the dark, studying the sleeping house, licking his lips, coughing? Why should someone be so near to my home, to my children, in this place that is not the city? So yeah, so that's just some snippets of her writing from each of this, these different, not each, but quite a few of these different stories in this book. And wow, she just blows my mind. She's she's not afraid to let weird things happen or her characters like say something a little bit strange. And I, I don't know, I just really love that about her. But as you can see from what I read, really stellar language. I love her style. And I didn't just like pick those passages for shock value. Like they're all pretty much... Everything, all of her sentences, all of the paragraphs, whatever, they're on the same level of like, this writing is making me feel something. She doesn't just have a couple like great lines sprinkled throughout. It's pretty much every line is something so good. So for form, I omitted form. Pretty straightforward. For shelf worthy, I put eight. I think this is shelf worthy. Short stories are usually a yes uh, from me simply because, like, I don't know what it is. They just seem as though, for some reason, they're easier to forget all the details and read again. I don't know why that is, because short stories are shorter than, you know, a whole novel. But when you have a bunch of short stories clumped together, something about them, they're just... I don't know. It makes it easier to read again and again and again and to be constantly surprised um, and forgetting is happening, what will happen, etc. And besides that, this is just such, as I have said, it's such good feminist fiction. There's something 
for you to really ponder about in every story to the point where it might be best if, you know, you read it all in one go and then give it a break. And then you come back to these stories one by one and read them again solo and allow your brain to sit with this work with maybe months in between, maybe weeks in between. Let yourself process and sit still with it and try to work out the pieces of it. I think that's probably the best way to absorb this book. But I definitely vote that you still buy it and you give yourself a little bit of brain food by reading this. So for plot, I said eight. Like I said, there's a thread of feminist thought food going throughout this whole book. There's something connecting threads. There, there's some connecting threads that are surfacing in these pieces. If you haven't read Love Story, which is, I believe, what, the fifth in here? Let me see. It's actually the eighth. So if you haven't read Love Story, which is the eighth book in here, and you want to just give Sam's writing a little try, it is, if you Google a love story by Sam Hunt, it will come up in The New Yorker, and you could either read it yourself or you can listen to her read it. Highly recommend. That one is probably my favorite, and I did not know that that was in here until I got to it. I had read it before previously. So when I was reading this, uh, there's a story called Beast. And I was like, wow, this is my favorite story in this collection. I don't know what it is. I just love it. And then slowly I got to, when I, as soon as I flipped to a love story, I was like, I didn't know this was in here. Now that one has to be my favorite. So it was a little treat for me. Very exciting. I think something that's really important about the plot all of these stories pretty much is that you know it's not just feminism for young women you know a lot of these stories about are are about older women they're about women who have kids have been pregnant have had abortions have had miscarriages women who have husbands who have been with their husbands for 10 plus years. There's also single women. There's older single women. There's one story in here. There are like 13 teenage girls who are pregnant. And you get like that from the perspective of an older woman and I guess some men. But I don't know. There's something about this book I like that it's real in the sense that it's not like, you know, feminism about a teenage girl and her boyfriend who got her knocked up and doesn't want to have a baby, which again, that can make for a fine story. I don't know. I think there's this kind of idea with a lot of young women, myself included, that I'm like, wow, like all my aunts, my my old not my mom's sisters, but like my grandmother's sisters. These are older women who have it figured out. Like they know these things, they have their husbands or they don't, like things are just great with them. Like they must know everything and it must, I don't know, it, it must be so easy for them to be 
you know, 60 plus years old, it must be so easy for them to be in their bodies and to be women and to be like, like much easier than it is for me. And then I read something like this and I'm like, no, it's not easier for older women. And it's not easier for younger women. It's not easy for anybody. At least I know that they also don't have it all figured out. I don't know. I like that. And I think that that's something comforting about these books. For characterization, I gave it a six only because it's hard for me to get invested in short story characters. And it happens very rarely. Uh, I can think of like maybe two short stories that I'm actually invested in the characters and they were longer ones. So what I will say is I thought that the characters were believable. They have their own quirks and they seem, you know, well thought out. They have their lives and their characteristics and they make sense for their stories. But when I walk away from this book, am I going to remember the characters' names or am I going to remember the basic plot of the story? And I think that I would lean on like, I'm going to remember more the basic plot of what happened rather than the characters for most of this story. And for that reason, I gave it a six. But of course, we do have our favorites and... We, we do have characters that are going to stand out, but just not all of the time. So yeah, so that's why I gave that a six. And that's pretty much it. Again, I love this book. I love these short stories. And if you haven't read a love story yet and you would like to hear Sam read it, Google it. Head over to the New Yorker. Maybe I can link it in our bio or the show notes or whatever that is. And yeah, that's all I got to say about that, besties. Sam, when you were reading excerpts, I could like hear her voice. Yes, I feel like she's reading to me. Oh, she's literally probably the coolest person I've ever met. I think she's one of my comfort people. Yeah. And like, we're not close like that. No. Like, she was just my professor. Right. But for some reason, I'm just like, I just feel like she gets me. (laughs) She's such a gem, bro. Also, something that's really cool is, I know I told Liza this, but um, seeing a quote about this book from Kelly Link, like, right on the back, it says, Samantha Hunt's every sentence electrifies Kelly Link. And I was like, that's one of my my favorite, like, writers commenting on Sam and I know Sam feels so cool so freaking cool that's so true and we love Kelly Link we love Kelly Link and um she's also amazing at short stories so ain't that the freaking truth um I feel like Sam would like the book that I reviewed maybe we should send it to her He's here, Sam. I 
saved my book from being returned to the warehouse at work. I saved a few books that day. What happens when they go to the warehouse? It just means like nobody bought all of the copies we wanted to sell by a specific date. So they go back to the warehouse. And I don't know what happens to them from there. But I saw this cover and was like, okay. And then I read the back and I was like, okay. So I saved it. Also a beautiful pink. Beautiful pink. My book is, first of all, the tagline on the back is in the jungle dreams and nightmares coexist. Oof. Thank God. Um, this takes place on the on Colombia's specific coast. Pacific coast, not specific coast. Colombia's Pacific Coast. Um, and it is by Pilar Quintana. Um, this is her first book that has been translated from the Spanish into English. Um, and it was translated by a woman named Lisa Dillman. Um, who translates Spanish, Catalan, and Latin American writers and teaches at Emory University. And this book was the winner of the English Pen Award. Um, and Pilar Quinta, when Quintana's books have been, have won many prestigious Colombian and Latin American awards. And I'm really glad I saved this book because I don't know if I would ever have read it otherwise. And now hopefully other people will want to read it um because I loved this book so to get into my ranking of it um for readability I gave this book a 9.5 I read this book in one sitting it is 153 155 pages I could not stop reading it and it's that style of book that I really like that some people might say there's not a whole lot of plot, but I kind of thought there like was, and it was, even though it was like just focusing on this one woman in this one, you know, few years, I suppose, or a few months of her life, like I really needed to know every single thing that was going to happen next. Um, and I'll get into this when I talk about form, but I just think this book is so easy to binge and if you weren't, if you don't read it in one sitting like I did, I think it's the type of book you would be thinking about while you're not reading it. So for language and style, I gave this book an 8.5. I loved this woman's writing style. It was so good and like so simple, but so unsettling. And oftentimes her descriptions of different things were just really like, Ooh, like they were like heavy, like especially her, this woman, our main character um, lives on uh, the beach. Um, and so sometimes the descriptions of the beach, especially because it was like, it wasn't like nice beach days. It often felt like heavy, foggy beach days. And they were just so visceral and like her descriptions of the jungle um, because Colombia is both beach and jungle um, were so visceral. And then other times she would just say the most profound things in the most simple ways. And basically without giving too many spoilers, the ocean here in where um, this book takes place has a proclivity for swallowing people up and spitting them back out, as our narrator puts it. Um, lots of people lose their lives to the sea, whether it's unintentional or intentional. The jungle does not have the same tendency to spit people out. It kind of just takes them and then doesn't, you never see them again. But there's this one part where 
this little boy dies and he's taken by the sea and then spit back out. And there's this one part where she's talking about how her mo- his mother is clutching and kissing him as if he were still handsome. That's the way she puts it. And I'm like, because of course she also describes his body being like bloated. Um, she describes a few people who come out of the sea and what their bodies look like. And just that thought of like the mother holding him and kissing him as if he were still handsome. I'm like, holy crap. And this book has a lot to do with mothers, which I didn't do a summary, I just realized, but I'll talk about that when I get to the plot instead. But I don't know why if that stuck with me because this book has so much to do with motherhood or like just that like idea that like if someone you loved got just like deformed in the way we know that, um, floaters, if you'll call them, um, get deformed. And then, oh, I don't know. It was so good. I remember seeing that moment, like it was like my jaw dropped. Form, I gave this book an eight. The chapters are very, very short. Um, and I think that lends itself to the plot of this book. And I think that also lends, I think it was purposeful in that um, this book is very tension provoking. And I always think if you want to provoke tension, do short chapters, Bestie, because it's going to get people to keep reading and it's going to create that like Ooh, feeling. The book was also interesting because it's really just following our main character for one little portion. And her name is Damaris, by the way. Um, It's following Damaris for just one portion of her life, but we get a lot of background on her um, through flashbacks. And sometimes I don't think flashbacks work very well, um, but in this book, I think they do work well. So I would include that in the form. I always say that flashbacks are a really clever way to get exposition if you do it right. And I think Quintana did it right in The Bitch. For shelfworthiness, I give this book a 7.5. I'm keeping it forever. I loved it. It's my favorite book I read so far this year, which isn't saying a lot because the year just started, but I, I'm wondering if by the time we get to LSMR Wrap 2022, if this is still going to be in the top 10 or maybe even top five because um, I loved it. And I think I could read it again. And I think I would notice things that I didn't notice the first time. Um, but I only give it a 7.5 because like I said, more and more, I'm trying to figure out what kinds of books are the books I reread. And I really like what Marissa said earlier that like, I feel like I read short story collections again, way more than I read novels. All of the short, like um, Carmen Maria Machado, Kelly Link, Amy Hempel, Murakami, like all the short story books I have, like I will go in and reread, whereas I don't find myself doing that much with novels. But because this is so short, I wonder if it's something that I would just be like, yeah, I'll go, I'll do it again. Especially maybe after I've not read it for a long time. Plot. I gave this book an eight. So I kind of forgot to mention this at the beginning as per usual, but this book follows a woman named Damaris. Um, Like I said, she lives on the Pacific coast of Colombia and um, she's a poor woman. Um, She lives with her husband in a shack and they basically, um, his name is Rogelio. And they basically um, take care of like a wealthier family's land um he's a fisherman actually so he's always out at sea which I think is another really cool thing I love any imagery of like fishermen and people being out at sea for really long periods of time but 
she's kind of like a groundskeeper slash housekeeper. And they live in a small village. And she's been with Regalio for a while. Um, they're in their, they're in their, I think, late 30s, early 40s when the book, but they've been together since like in, they were in their 20s. But um, they've always tried to have children, but it's clear that one of them cannot. Um, it's not clear whether it's her or whether it's him um, who uh, is unable to conceive children, but she definitely takes it upon herself as if it is almost her fault. Like she blames herself for not being able to do this thing that we deem as something women should naturally be able to do. Um, and it's really hard on her. And for a while they sought out like different doctors and magic, more like witch doctors to see if they could uh, get a grip on things. And they were never able to. And it strained her marriage with her husband and at different times in the book, we see them closer. At different times, we see them more at odds. But I'll get into that when I talk about characterization, because I think the characterization in this book was phenomenal. But basically, the book begins with a dog having a dog in the village having puppies, and she takes one of the puppies, a female puppy, home. And this dog becomes like her surrogate child that's why this book is called the bitch it's also the only girl dog in the whole litter that was born and the whole book is her and this dog basically um that has kind of turned into a surrogate child and there's these really tender moments with the dog but things become strained and kind of sour and she eventually becomes resentful of the dog because the dog becomes pregnant and it's sort of a mirror of everything she can't be and also the dog is always running away like this dog's biggest personality trait is that it's always running away into the jungle and then it always comes back and it always comes back to her but it's like this whole like thing that is also really interesting and adds a lot to the tension of the plot like even though it's like a dog running away and you're like oh that is like tense but it doesn't sound tense like I would put this book closer to horror it, it, it's very surreal to me even though it's clearly realism but I would put this like hinging on horror even though it's like not necessarily that if that makes any sense but yeah for the plot I gave this book an eight there was twist that I did a twist that literally shocked me I think I probably had an audible or physical reaction to it when it happened but just the plot overall was just like really stunning and very like like I said it was very surreal and very real like the setting was really surreal and the vibes were surreal but everything that was happening was so real <laughs> that I just really really loved this book um no loose ends, nothing really that I would change. I mean, I would even hinge on maybe changing this to a nine for plot now that I'm looking at the chart. And for characterization, I gave this book a nine. I am fully invested in these characters, even if I don't understand. I understand them at all times, even if I don't relate to them at all times, which I think is really important. And I do relate to Damaris often, um, but other times I very much I do not um, because she's not a perfect person and the dog is its own character 
and there's this weird woman who lives in the other part of town who's just like um she's kind of like Damaris always refers to her that she has her vices um but I think we're supposed to think she like does a lot of drugs um and drinks a lot but she's such a character the land is a character the ocean is a character the jungle is a character the manor that um Damaris takes care of as a character her shack that she lives in is a character um the, there's other dogs all of her family members and friends that are just briefly mentioned feel so real and then I also am a big fan of how Quintana wrote Regalio because he he's a complicated character and they obviously have a very complicated marriage and he is like verbally abusive often to Damaris or, you know, and he's often sometimes, he has his dogs and she has her dog, but he has like three dogs and he can at times be like physically abusive to those dogs. And so like, he's not like a good guy at all, but there's these moments, almost especially in flashback where there's like these really tender moments. And it like, I think it helped build their relationship so much and like how much he cared about her not being her feeling like she was the one who wasn't able to have children and like there's also moments like later on like with the new dog and their new dynamic that like it just feels like of course nobody is all bad and I think sometimes in books people forget to add that people are so often more black and white than they are gray in fiction. But I think that added to all these characters being more real. And that's why when I said, like, I don't relate to all of these characters, but I understand all of them. And I think that's really important. I don't know. I mean, I thought this book was definitely plot driven, but it was very, very character driven as well um and for such a short book to feel like you know these characters so well um is a real achievement i think but yeah on our freaking i don't usually do this but on our pain rating scale i'm gonna give this book like a seven like this it hurt me and it left the ending was so fucking cool and everybody who knows me knows that i love marissa talked about this too this episode that if you don't know what the fuck is going to happen after you close that book that's how it should be if you don't know you either have to know say i have no clue what just happened or i have no clue what's going to happen next and i don't want to know that's how in my opinion <laughs> great books and and this book is the latter you're like I have no clue what just happened after I closed like what if there was another page I have no clue what would have occurred and I don't really need to know I like it that way and I think I love Latin American literature so much and I think it's because they embrace surrealism so much more often than western writers do and my favorite thing I sent this to Marissa when I started reading this is it just says disillusioned nonsense powerful prose <laughs> and I was like sign me up but I feel like that is so such a good description of a lot of really wonderful Latin American authors and their books and this truly was like feminist fiction like like I said like I don't know if Pilar Quintana set out to say okay this is a feminist book but in everything that it does it is inherently feminist especially because she's focusing on a woman and a woman's body and a woman's mind and feelings and motherhood in this way oh yeah like this is on the back like I don't know who wrote this blurb but beauty and dread live side by side and this poignant exploration of the many 
meanings of motherhood and love. Girl, correct. And I just love this book, like amazing. I, it, you ever read a book and you're like, damn, thank, thank goodness I found that book. Um, that's how I feel about this. Not only does that book sound really, really amazing, but like the like even the spine is pink. Mm-hmm. And I love books with color on it because they look so good on the shelf. It does. Even if like even if you don't do the rainbow shelf thing that people do, it still looks good on the shelf to have like a pretty book rather than just a white or black covered book. Yeah. But um yeah, I feel like I relate to the dog in that book. I don't know what it is. I just want to reach out and protect that dog with my life. Yeah. Yeah, bestie. It's actually a very complicated character too, though, the dog. It's very interesting. I love that. The dog is like, it's, oh my, it's just so, I've never actually seen a dog characterized so well before. I don't think I brought it up um, last episode, but in the devil in silver there's one small chapter where the point of view is from a rat and I don't know why but I was just like hell yeah I love this rat immediately yes (laughs) I when a when a point of view is done from an animal or an inanimate object where it doesn't feel cliche or cheesy yeah so good I love it we need um to use it, make a TikTok using that sound. That's when it comes to a drink, I'ma have it. And it's like when it comes to a freaking talking animal in a book or an inanimate object in a tasteful, weird way. I'ma have, have it. That reminds me of like um the noose in the rope in Savage Conversations being yes. a And then I don't know if you've ever read The Shinagawa Monkey by Murakami. But that shit's lit. It's a talking monkey. Love it. It's so fucked up. Any, I, I just want to be skeeved out. Do we have any other feminist fiction thoughts? <laughs> um, Keep feminist-sing. Keep feminist-sing. If you're a feminist author, keep doing the damn thing because we love your books. And oh my God, we love our favorite. And if you're Samantha Hunt, we love you. We miss you. Sam, if you're listening to this, you're our hero. Sam, if you're listening to this, um, let's have a workshop. <laughs> yes. Tea party with Sam. Tea party with Sam. Would you rather have a tea party with Sam or brewskis with Sam. Margs with Sam because Marg- today is National Margarita Day. Midnight Margaritas with Sam. Can you imagine the witch amazing the witchy vibes of me, you, and Sam with midnight margaritas would be insane. And you know Sam would be down to go to a cemetery with us. I know she would. Sam, <laughs> we love Sam, you. Please hit us up. <laughs> but yeah, bestie, what are we doing next week? Hey, it's somebody's birthday next week. A birthday? Author birthday. Author birthday. So has anyone ever had to read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I didn't have to read it. I read part of it. If you don't know, that's by Mr. Douglas Adams, 
who I'm going to double check. I believe his birthday is March 11th. Yes, it's March 11th. So we thought that it would be nice to pay some respects to him. I will be reading uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And I'm actually going to read a nonfiction book by him that I didn't know about. Um, and it's called Last Chance to See. And it's about the endangered creatures of the planet Earth. And he is often writing about creatures not of this Earth. So I'm really excited to see him write about creatures of this Earth. Yeah, and that book sounds really sad but like in a good in a good way and I guess it's funny too because he's funny so it's very like but also I'm gonna be extra sad because he wrote this in the 90s and so I'm guessing a lot of the animals that he talked about are actually gone now like there's the is it the black rhinoceros or the white rhinoceros or both even one of them is just fully extinct like they're gone they're not coming back which is really freaking sad (laughs) That's sad. Yeah. Douglas Adams is also extinct, I guess. He passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, as and we tend to do as humans. That, yeah, as you know, humans do that. We expire. Um, and I will probably use Eliza talking about that book next week to shout from the rooftops about zoos so be prepared for that guys let's talk you don't know i'm a very i'm a fan of zoos Mm -hmm. i like the zoos and i will tell you you want to know why you're gonna have to wait till next week wait till next week and she's gonna spill some tea i am i'm very passionate about it but yeah that that's all we have for you make sure you're um you know thinking about picking out books from women authors this month or not but you should you should and yeah um and we'll see you we will see you thanks for listening peace out can you go to a sushi restaurant with um nanny and we think this person's name we're just gonna call them rat she got herpes in her fucking ass. Yeah. I forgot we were recording. <laughs>